0: Hey, welcome to another episode of the show. Last week's guest was Peter Brown, who's the author of, or at least one of the co-authors of the groundbreaking book on knowledge acquisition and retention, which came out a number of years ago. It's called Make It Stick. Maybe that's something you've um, read before. It's certainly something that uh, we discussed in detail last Thursday. And why does that matter? Well, because we're revisiting the same subject again this week, which is helping your clients not just to acquire knowledge, that's the easy bit, but to actually retain that knowledge. And this week, for that reason, I'm speaking with Lawrence Schwartz, who is CEO of Trivi.com. And that's an interesting story for a couple of reasons. One, because Lawrence and his team launched a game on the App Store a number of years ago which has been downloaded millions of times. And the other reason is because Peter Brown, last week's episode, guest, was one of the contributors to the, if you will, the, the thinking behind how trivi.com works. And those lessons have laid the foundation for creating Lawrence's company, which is trivi.com, and they work with some of the world's brand top brands, including Unilever, Anheuser-Busch, and Subway. And they do so by using technology to retain information longer through personalization of learning, gamification, and lots and lots and lots of retrieval practice. In today's episode, why are organizations flying blind, as Lawrence calls it, in terms of learning and development? How do organizations make learning more engaging? That's a great question. What is the science behind practice Personalization and predictability of knowledge retention. And is there a danger that adults will begin to resent repetition, repetition, repetition of learning as an interruption? And I, I actually had a chat with someone recently about that and they think that is a danger, but that's something I put to Lawrence and I, I'd like to share his views with you on that subject. And the last thing is, what is the impact? of AI-driven learning for those of us who are classroom-based trainers, ILTs, if you will, instructor-led training experts. So that's a great uh, summary of today's show, and thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to sharing this with you today. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, And welcome to the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's Thursday. It's another episode of the show. Every single Thursday, we have an episode of the Training Business podcast. If you're someone who makes their living either by working in corporate learning or simply are self-employed, working as a learning consultant, a trainer, a facilitator, this is the show for you because I know exactly what uh, you're going through. I've been inside corporate learning as a learning and development manager in a previous life. And these days I work with clients of mine also as an associate with other training companies. So I'm kind of dipping my uh, toes in all kinds of areas. In the training business, and the goal of this show and every episode of the show every Thursday is to bring you aspects of the training business, of the personal development business, that help you with your business. So, if this is something that uh, appeals to you. Perhaps you're not yet in the training business, but you're thinking of it. Then, I'd like to think that episodes of this show help you with that journey. And if you're in the corporate learning space and you want to improve, get more leads, uh, learn about technology, which is going to have an impact on our industry, well, this is exactly why I produce episodes of the show every week. So I'd love to know what you think. And I'm all the time looking for ideas. You can drop me a line on email via mark at trainingbusiness.com. Perhaps you've got some suggestions for great guests or topics or even some kind of uh, problems or challenges that you have right now. And if that is the case, I'd love to share those with my network and get some answers to you. Lawrence, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark, how are you? Good, thanks. We spoke um, last week in prep for this call, a preparation for this call, and one of the things you said that stuck in my mind is that many organizations right now are flying blind with regards to LD. Let's dig into that. What do you mean by? organizations flying blind in the context of learning and development?
1: Yeah, our belief is that most companies do not have any visibility to their greatest asset, and that's corporate knowledge. Any other asset this size, we'd be measuring and managing and improving. And if you look at it, really the three layers of, of uh, personnel in a company from executive to people leaders to employees, no one really has an understanding of the impact of L&D. So if you start at the executive level, they are um, authorizing large budgets for L&D expenditures and programs, but they really don't know if that's impacting the business and where that's going. So they're flying blind. If you look at the people leaders and the L&D managers, they have these budgets that have been approved. They have to put on either virtual or now, in some cases, in-person training. They have to buy LMS system, LXP systems, content. But they really have no idea if this is really impacting the training and, and, and helping the business. They do know if they're hitting the checkbox that they, A, bought something, and B, someone completed it. But they really don't know if it's impacting the business. And then lastly, the employee. They're asked to take training classes, virtual or in-person, interact with an LXP or an LMS system, virtual coaching, things of that nature. But they really have no idea if what they're doing is impacting their career, impacting the company, helping them move up the, the food chain, if you will, in their job. And so they're flying blind as well. So we believe that knowledge really is the most important asset that any company can, can grow and foster and nurture. We believe it's the fundamental element that drives human growth and retaining that knowledge creates really the building blocks to better human experiences. So everything we do and everything we believe in is to ensure that happens both, um, uh, from a, from a technology perspective and from a data and visualization perspective. And that's our North Star. And we believe that it's a, it's a component, uh, not the end-all, be-all of a complete L&D ecosystem. It, it's not something that you rip and replace. It, it's part of the process. Because think about it. If you, if you don't have your employees remembering what they're being trained on, it has no value. The content doesn't have value. The LMS system doesn't have value. Um, the services you're you're rolling out with regard to L and D have no value. If people don't remember it and are able to use it on the job. And that's the asset that we feel is is not being really measured and managed and improved um, uh, across almost any side of organization we deal with.
0: Yeah, it, it's the knowledge capital. It's it's an intellectual capital asset. It's not on the balance sheet, but it's, it's there. Um, invisible almost. Is this true, though, for all organizations, or are there certain industries that are more effective at measuring the efficacy of training investment? Are all organizations flying blind, or are there exceptions in this rule?
1: I don't know if there's exceptions. We have customers that have... Um, 25 employees uh, and we have customers that have over 100,000 employees. And I think all of them uh, see the same issues. And that's, uh, how are my people engaging? What are they learning? How do I know if they're impacting job performance or, or uh, the company with the knowledge that they're being trained upon? So I think it, it goes across uh, vertical Industries, it goes across horizontal use cases from onboarding to safety and compliance, sales training, marketing. And as an example, think about safety and security. Okay, so does a company know what their employees know and don't know? Uh, You know, don't you think that would impact the company if they didn't know something? Safety policies and protocols. The thing is, if they don't, it's going to have a cost that really can't be pointed back to the training. It's, hey, did someone get hurt on the job? Um, did we lose a client because there was a malfunction in our product? Um, did uh, you know, we get sued because we you know had this problem with an uh, oil leak or whatever it might be? These are costs that you can't point back to L&D traditionally. But with our product um, and and the way we kind of view the world is you need to have that visibility, that 360-degree view on the people, the content, and the process to make sure that they're getting the right information, they retain it long-term, and you're able to track and trace that.
0: So let's talk about the content side of things. How do organizations make learning more engaging? What what aspects of gamification are getting the most results?
1: (laughs) Well engagement is a hot topic that a lot of companies um, bring up. And they call us and they say, hey, we would like to have more engagement with our learning. And uh, the first question we ask is, what does that mean to you? And it usually gets quiet uh, that, that uh, they don't know. It's like, hey, we just need to have our, our training um, more engaging so the employees get it. And so it's really this nebulous thing that people ask for. Um, And you really can't get your employees engaged in training um, uh, just by putting content out there because there's so much content at employees' fingertips from their day-to-day work tasks, email, to Slack, to where are they going to go to dinner on Friday with their friends or family. There's just so much data and information in front of them. You have to figure out a way to engage them. So our background is in social gaming. Uh, Back several years ago, we had a consumer product that was the number one game on the Apple App Store. And we had tens of millions of games that were played in one simple format, and that was trivia. And it was true-false, multiple-choice pictures, videos, things of that nature that engage people in learning. And the stats we saw were pretty amazing at uh, how often people played the game, how often they uh, shared with their friends, and how long they engaged. And with the billions of transactions that we were able to analyze, we realized that this was a, a, a very um, relevant way to, to foster engagement, and get people to learn. It turns out it's the most obvious uh, gamified mechanic in the world today, from TV shows to radio shows to bar trivia, everybody understands trivia. And if you take it a step back and you look at what happens in K through 12 through higher ed, corporate learning, medical school, law school, there's always some type of quiz or assessment or a test along your learning path. And so that's what we've done is we've stuck with something we know that works. Again, tens of millions of games played on this format to engage a learner and use really the goldilocks method not too much not too little just about right where someone can hop in engage with the product the system starts learning about uh, their strengths and weaknesses and then they can hop on and and go about their day and continue their flow of work if you will
0: so this all sounds i would say almost deceptively simple but it's not there's a lot of science and technology behind this um And when we talked last time, we spoke about the influence that the co-authors of Make It Stick had on, for example, the retrieval practice engine behind your software. And that was uh, last week's guest, in fact, Peter Brown. What is the science there? For those of us who are perhaps not technologists, because there are a couple of things going on here. We've got um, retrieval practice, we've got spaced repetition, and... I think you said the interweaving of different topics, to varied content types. Can we give, give, give people listening an example of each of those?
1: Sure, ab- absolutely. And I'd like to take a step back, if we could, to that last question about engagement, because so many people ask about that. And there was a couple other points I think might be relevant. Um, it's not just like a trivia game or a build a village game. I think it's about the multiple modalities, the way people learn. There's obviously the gamification. and we, we view gamification as kind of marshalling someone through a process, not really um, a, a result of you know building a village or being the number one score in your company. It's, it's really engaging a learner and how, how do I get them through a process of learning where they can see some result. The other is a personalized experience. I think uh, we all know with so many apps out there, when the apps are more personalized to us, like, hey, welcome back, Mark, or you show your stats in whatever health app you're using or dining app you're using, that if it's personalized to you, you're going to be more engaged to it and go back to it. I think the social aspects, if you can collaborate with peers, uh, whether you're doing it in our context in a leaderboard or sharing content or discussion boards, those are great ways to build engagement. And then lastly is is having t- some type of survey and social component where you not only engage people in learning, but understand how they feel. And people use those separately or companies use those separately as they have their learning tools and then they have their survey tools like SurveyMonkey or, or whatever. And the way we see the world is that's kind of a component of engagement because as a LD and d manager or people leader, you can not only see the learning that's going on behind the scenes with Trivia, it's how are people feeling about that learning? Hey, I, you know, when you've got 10,000 people that say that this is something that we already were trained on a year ago and we've never seen it on the job, that tells you as an L&D practitioner, maybe that's something that's not engaging and we shouldn't have that in our curriculum anymore because they already got it. And actually, it's starting to frustrate them. And so it, it's having diminishing returns. So I think those are different ways to engage learners. And, um, you know, we, we feel that L D the practitioners are looking for solutions. And those solutions are not always just on fancy websites and logos of all the companies that are out there. I think it's being able to find companies that help you understand your goals and what you're trying to achieve, and then figure out ways to engage your learners and your employees in that process. Because every company has a different dynamic of how their employees engage with learning. Put a little on that one. So I just wanted to, to seal that off a little bit because it is a big question that always comes up.
0: So th- there's artificial intelligence involved as well. And and I guess this is the future of learning. We've, we've got um, a huge or high degree of personalization, uh, predictability. You mentioned that too. And then automation. So personalization is what learning we prefer as individuals. Predictability is predicting when learning is going to be forgotten. I find that fascinating actually. Um, and then the last thing is automation is is giving people, I suppose, a, a stream of opportunities to to practice. Let's look at, look at um, the, those two things initially. Personalization, and predictability. How do we personalize learning? I mean, what does what does that really mean? Personalizing learning to the extent that we need people to cover certain things, but there's an element of here's it in a way that uh, resonates with you and engages you, and hopefully you then. Want to come back to it and, and use it? How do we personalize learning in, in a technological sense?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to uh, the question about retrieval practice. Kind of what is what is the core component of um, a company's learning initiatives that that gets gets an employee engaged or entered into a learning path? And so we do use that re- retrieval practice method. It's been around for decades. Uh, we've worked with with uh, Mark McDaniel and Peter Brown and um, Roddy Rodiger to 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 work on the techniques of retrieval practice, which is you mentioned are space repetition, interleaving different types of content types uh, or topics and varied content types. These are all different ways that engage learners because uh, learners learn differently. You might uh, like to read text, and, and that's the way you get it. Um, Some people like to see pictures, some people like to see videos, uh, things of that nature. Um, Ironically enough, people get the most uh, durable learning experience through pictures. So um, that is something that's pretty popular in our process. But through this, um, we we learned back when we had our consumer game um, several years ago, that there is an association with uh, people's habits on interacting with things they're learning or being quizzed on. So what we did is we built some algorithms on um, three, three areas that you mentioned. One was the personalization. So based upon how you learn, how you interact, uh, how fast you answer questions, frequency of when you enter our product, um, the topics you're good at, the topics that you're not good at our algorithm starts learning kind of the, the, the blueprint of you. What are things where you might have strengths? How often do you like to play the game? What are the times of day you like to play the game? And all these things are reportable in our system. So a learning manager could look at you and say, okay, well, he's going to be most effective in learning at 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. Really? So our, syst- <laughs> our system is going to be able to present things to you around those times because that's when you do it. Maybe you're full at work the whole day, then you go for a run after work, and then you get on your learning after dinner. So that's that's one area. And we haven't seen anybody do that. Um, and we find it is a very subtle way to engage learners in um, in learning some type of topic that best suits their needs and is most relevant to them. The second component, which you did mention, was the predictability. And you found that fascinating. And what we did is we took our, um, our algorithms and we married them up to the forgetting curve, which has been studied, for, again, for a long, long time. And there's lots of information out there. And so based upon how you interact with our system, your scores, how fast you answer, confidence levels, a wide variety of different inputs, it's going to start predicting when you're going to forget a certain topic or a certain concept or a certain word on the, the, the linear path of a falling forgetting curve. And so when you reach a certain point, a threshold on that forgetting curve, it says, oops, Mark is about to forget this topic. Let's pick and pull from his library on these concepts and topics that might help close that gap and make that concept more resilient for him going forward. So you all of a sudden get this topic and go, okay, well, let me re-engage with this one. I I know some of it, but let me go through and and do it. And what it's doing for the company or your learning manager saying, hey, I'm not sure if Mark is going to forget this, but now I have a tool and I have data that says there's a high probability at this point we have a risk. And so think about this if you're a uh, chief learning officer and you're looking at a company and you have 3,000 people working in factories across the world. And you look at this part of our management dashboard and you say, I've got a problem that it pre- Trivia predicts that these 3,000 people are going to forget this important safety topic next Friday. That's a problem. So yeah. So, Okay. So let's say the algorithm isn't 100% accurate. It's off by a week or a month uh, or a day. That's okay. Because now you have insight that, you know what, we need, need to address this. Let's send out a PDF. Let's have a video conference. Let me have our safety uh, managers make a video to send out to everybody, or let's send out some more trivia games. So now you have all these tools already, uh, you know, in your company that you can use and you can pick and pull components that can attack this issue. That may be a problem. And the last component that you mentioned in our product is the automation is that we try to lessen the burden on learning managers to always go out and take action and force learning down to their employees. They're already doing so much with so little and um, are trying to figure out ways to be more effective and impactful. And we decided to, to take some of that burden off their hands and say, look, we've got this retrieval engine, retrieval practice engine. We've got this AI. We've got this predictability. Let's automate that for you. So all you have to do is set it and forget it put in your employees. What content is it going to attack? When do you want it to start? When do you want this to end, if ever? And hit go. And what's going to happen is it's going to reach out to Mark, send you an email, a push notification, you get the app, uh, or you can get it on your desktop. And now every time you interact with the system, it's going to analyze based upon retrieval practice. It's going to analyze based upon the predictability and the other algorithms. And it's going to say, okay, we're going to space out this learning to Mark based upon this automated cadence. So imagine you walk in a room and there's 300 people at a conference and you all just went to this great breakout session to learn about some new thing. And you walk in there, everybody has you know, their hors d'oeuvres, cocktails, juice, whatever it might be. And then you look around the room to see who remembers that information. Chances are some people probably already forgot it. They were just (laughs) ready to get to the buffet or the hors d'oeuvres. What our system does, it's going to basically hover around that audience, if you will, and say, okay, we need to automate Mark getting this here in another 20 minutes because he's going to forget it. Lawrence over here next hour and John over there in two weeks because it really sunk in. Now, I'm giving kind of uh, uh, an example that is glorious and not realistic. It's not real world. But the goal is to make sure everybody in a company is getting the right information and the right reinforcement at the right time. So everybody has the same baseline and growth line of learning with our product. And L&D managers can predict that and manage that with the data. Finally, learning, you can actually see.
0: Can I ask you, are there particular types of, or rather do adults l- forget some types of learning quicker than others? And I think this would interest people who are classroom trainers.
1: Yeah, th- that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I I didn't know the answer to that. Um, I, you know, we, we had a conversation beforehand and uh, talked about that. And I really didn't know the answer to that. So I uh, did ask um, the authors of Make It Stick, Mark McDaniel and, and Henry Rodiger, um, on that topic. And they hadn't done a lot of research uh, on that topic, which was is really kind of interesting. Um, and they didn't have um, that data at their fingertips. They did say that when you look at you know the types of learning, um, usually visual learning, uh, you know, sticks longer, uh, whether it's videos or pictures or things of that nature. But as, but as far as, you know, the, the, um, the, the age, um, there wasn't really, um, uh, a lot of data on that yet. I think the, the, you're really talking about the forgetting rate of of information. And so, uh, what they shared with me is that, the, the way the information is organized is going to have the most impact regardless of age. So um, so if the information is organized in the right schema during the learning, whether it's digital or whether it's in a classroom, uh, and then you have the reinforcement of a retrieval practice cadence and process, that's where you're going to have the most durable long-term Association and memory of a topic, and it's not only memory; it's usability of that information. Being able to to pull it out of your memory, out of your out of your brain, and take action on it, and never forget it.
0: Lawrence, I have to ask you: Is there a danger that adults will begin to resent all this repetition and and learning interruption, even if it's the optimal time based upon the uh, engine's analysis of someone's individual needs?
1: Mm, you know, I I don't know. I mean, if if I mean, let's let's look at the different type of learning products that are out there. There's everything from Coursera to LinkedIn Learning. Um, you know, uh, degree. There's lots of learning platforms out there that adults, young and old, are engaging with, trying to learn. And these are you know just three examples of different formats, although they do have some similarities. So I don't think there's any resentment with that, um, and I think if you work for a company, um, you <laughs> you want several things. You want to uh, you know you want a, a salary or uh, an hourly rate that you can pay your bills. Uh, you want to do a good job, hopefully. Uh, you want to get along with your peers, and uh, you probably want to be able to learn new skills and progress along the way. And so. With that, if a company can offer you tools to satisfy those things and, and help along that continuum, I think uh, people are going to be more receptive to it. I think the issue is time. Uh, there's only so much time people have to learn uh, in a work week. And, and now, I mean, it's hard to define a work week. Uh, with all the Zoom virtual meetings, you know, I've talked to so many people, both in uh, our client companies and also L&D professionals, it's, they get up in the morning. It used to be coffee with family, a workout, walk, run, whatever it might be, get to the office, have their meetings, collaborate in the hallway with people, uh, whiteboard sessions, have an hour-long lunch, go do their thing, get in their car, drive home, or whatever. Now it's they roll out of bed, they put on a dress shirt, sit in front of their computer till 7 o'clock, and look up. It's, you know... Time to have dinner with family, and then get back online probably. And this is not for entrepreneurs and and, and leaders. This is like uh, from the lowest level employee down or, or up. It's 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 really hard to have a, a productive workday when you have so many meetings back to back. So what we found is not to be intrusive. If if there is a learning process that's going on. We try to make it fun and engaging and quick, so people can get in, get out, and go about their day. But the data that we pull out of that whole experience has, um, you know, significant meaning not only to the the company, but also helping the individual as they go through their learning journey inside that
0: company. Does this represent a death knell for classroom-based training or even ILT in structure that training?
1: You know, I don't think so. Um, you know, we have a, a partner that we work with right now, uh, PSI online, they do proctor-led training and and do a lot of different types of classroom training. And our product is a component of that. Um, If you think about classroom training, it's very similar to digital training. Um, Digital is just a, I guess, a modified version of classroom training. Instead of a instructor, you've got a curriculum online that you follow through. And that's why so many of these digital training platforms have people in them and and, and visuals of human beings going through different things and visual instructors and AR and VR and all these things. I think that um, what we do is we help close that learning loop, if you will. So someone signs up for a class, they go to the class, um, they either enjoy it or don't enjoy it. And at the very end of the class, they have the ability to now continue that learning on this kind of, virtual automated schedule uh, where they can play games. And we know, based upon the gaming format that we've had for several years and all the millions of people that have played it, the gaming format works and it's engaging. So I think that you don't have a one-size-fits-all, whether it's proctor-led or instructor-led or any other type of training. There's not like one silver bullet. There's lots of different components to the whole ecosystem of learning and i think helping people remember what they've learned is key and as i mentioned before knowledge we believe is the fundamental element of the whole learning or absorbing that knowledge is the the fundamental element of any learning path whether you're in grammar school high school trying to get a medical degree or you work for a company if you don't remember the information uh, and you don't know where you stand with it then it doesn't have a lot of
0: value. I've had a conversation with a few people about this, about the direction we're heading in with learning engines that learn not just uh, or teach us things, but they learn about us as as they're teaching us things. Are we heading in the direction where we or corporations we work for know so much about the people they hire that they begin to learn about whom not to hire based upon their ability to retain information? <laughs> uh and and to use the information i know this sounds almost paranoid but uh you know that's I, that's a conversation i've had a few times with people saying i'm not sure i want to know i'm not sure people should know how much i know or how little i retain because it makes me look like i'm not really good at learning and acquiring and, and retaining things yeah
1: and that and that's where i think uh retrieval practice is great is that not everybody learns the same way and what they, what they studied and what they've uh, uh, shown in their research is that whether it's a fourth grade classroom or whether it's a uh, person taking their pilot's license um, is that you need to be able to pro- provide some types of learning techniques, retrieval practice being uh, the one that's uh, the most researched and to be, um, proven to be the most durable, is that it has to learn what you know and don't know. So I think if people are are paranoid about learning, um, that they just need to relax a little bit, because it's it's the way that the human experience progresses. Is you have to learn, and if your company is sensitive to your sensitivities, then they're going to look for technologies that help aid and foster the different types of learning technique or different types of learning technologies out there and like i said retrieval practice is just a great one Uh, you know aside from the space repetition it's gonna you know interleave the the concepts uh back and forth so you can associate what the what the topic is not know it um empirically so for example um let's see um let's use a baseball example so maybe interleaving content, um, uh, if you go to a batting cage and you take uh, you know, a bunch of fastball pitches, curveball pitches, sinkers, sliders, all these different types of pitches, and then you go out into a, a baseball game and you get one of those pitches, you're going to be more accustomed to seeing it and being able to act upon it and making contact. That's very similar to... Uh, retrieval practice and uh and in this case corporate learning is that you're learning different ways and different concepts and you're interleaving these things together not being tested on just one thing but they're all kind of intertwined so when you are on the job and you are seeing that pitch you recognize it and you go okay i can handle this i can do this i can do my job you may not even realize it so that's one of the things that's great about retrieval practice We are seeing, and you see this with all the people you talk to, and it's been around for quite some time, is employee profiling. It really um, started with all the the testing techniques that came on for for new hires about 10 years ago. So you could basically make a a blueprint for your best hires. And these have evolved over time. And what is kind of scary now is that companies or technologies are taking these blueprints and they're layering over their, their current employees. Who's going to be a, uh, a star in my company? Who is a quote-unquote high potential? Uh, who is a high risk? And that's, I believe, and a lot of people believe, that's not always accurate. Uh, some people are better in certain situations. That's just the way it is. Um, so there are a lot of technologies out there that are profiling tendencies and um, uh, personalities That may fit or not fit, or be strong or weak inside of a company. We don't look at our product like that. We look at it as hey, whatever you're doing and learning, it doesn't matter if it's compliance content, sales training, um, you know, onboarding new hires, any type of training process you have, any type of modality, whether it's in person, whether it's virtual, whether it's through an LMS, we would like to be inserted in that process usually towards the end to help make it stick and we have a bunch of cool things that help make that happen and a gamified environment that's short, quick, fun that we know people like and produce the data uh, both in-app so you can see as a learner how you're doing and uh, as a company you can see where you have strengths, weaknesses, risk, opportunities and uh, we found that's just a, a great system to help reinforce again the most important asset that we believe every company has, and, and that's
0: knowledge. Well, the people and the knowledge, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Of course, the people. But the,
1: <laughs> yeah, the, of course. the knowledge from the people. <laughs> exactly. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just shocking that you know most companies uh, don't have the vis- visibility on that greater greatest asset. You know, so. Um,
0: That's what we do. Okay. So, um, Lawrence, where can people find out more about you and and Trivi?
1: Yeah, uh, pretty easy. Um, Head out to the the web, um, trivi.com, T-R-I-V-I-E.com. We're also on LinkedIn. We're always accessible and um, usually get back to people pretty quickly and uh, have lots of great case studies and and use cases that we're more than willing to share and uh, help people figure out. Um, you know, they're they're learning conundrums, if you will.
0: Okay, brilliant. Lawrence, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. All right, Mark. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. A huge thank you to Lawrence Schwartz for being my guest today here on the Training Business Podcast. And a massive thanks to you for your time. There are lots of podcasts out there which you could listen to. I know that because I listen to them too. But you've taken time today to listen to this one. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. I am sure, as I said before the interview today, that you've got some great ideas for episodes and content. So please, please keep those coming. And can I ask you right now to click on subscribe because that subscribes you to the show. It doesn't really cost you anything. In fact, there's no cost at all, except a couple of seconds of time but that means a lot to me and the people behind the show because it helps to bring the show to the attention of other people who will find value in what we do each week. If you've got suggestions for content guests, anything at all, please drop me a line, mark at trainingbusiness.com. You'll find episodes of the show on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and many, many more. Whatever that is, I look forward to your company on that platform again next Thursday. Until then, keep training, keep selling, keep looking after yourself and your loved ones. Catch you next time. Bye for now.